Hello and welcome to the I Hear Design podcast, your source for design and architecture news, views, and opinions. I'm your host, Robert Yaminen, and I appreciate you tuning in to today's episode and making us part of your day. Each year, the global design and architecture firm Gensler releases its design forecast report, and I was especially interested in the latest edition, given all the incredible changes we've seen since the pandemic, also known as the Great Disruption, brought our lives to a screeching halt for the most part. How did this impact the way architects and designers are looking at space now? And in what ways will it impact the office? Or will there even be an office anymore now that everyone has proved they can work from home? How do we design for sustainability and health now? And how do we ensure the built environment is flexible enough to deal with the kind of ongoing change we're seeing? To answer these questions, I invited Janet Pogue, Principal and Global Workplace Research Leader for Gensler's DC office, and Natalie Engels, Principal, Work Sector Leader and Design Director in the firm's San Jose office, to talk about Gensler's 2022 design forecast report. There's a lot of great insights shared, so grab a latte or maybe a glass of wine if it's that time, and listen in as we explore the role of design in light of the great disruption. All right, well, hello, Janet. Hi, Natalie. How are you? So thank you for being on the podcast. Happy to be here. Yes, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where are you both dialing in from? I'm, I'm dialing in outside of Washington, D.C., so. Great, great. What about you, Natalie? I'm in San Jose, California. San Jose. All right, great. Well, I know it's technically supposed to be spring, but here in South Florida, it already feels like summer. I mean, it's it's in the 80s. I'm not kidding you. So uh, I, I feel like the, the year is just flying by, and I can't believe it's yeah. already March. I think yeah, it has gone fast. Yeah, yeah. There's, well, there's a lot going on, obviously, too. It <laughs> feels like the world is kind of going nuts at the moment. But uh, yeah, I, I think it was back in January, uh, Gensler launched its uh, 2022 design forecast, which is what we're here to talk about today, right? So um, I was thinking just to kind of kick off our conversation, you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, the background uh, about the report, the scope and kind of what's changed since last year's forecast, maybe like have there been any significant shifts since the last iteration? So um, how did this all kind of come about? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, every year we uh, we love uh, looking into, you know, uh, what's been happening with all of our um, experts and industries. And this year, when we uh, dove into uh, the design forecast and looking into uh, what design strategies were starting to emerge, uh, we realized that the difference between last year and this year were quite vast. You know, last year, it really was about addressing the immediate, and it was much more reactive. Mm. Uh, so between then, and this forecast, people's perceptions and expectations have completely changed. Our decision making, uh, that playing field uh, is what has really changed. Um, who that decision maker is has also changed. So fundamentally, we are in an exploration mode driven by purpose. Um, and we're in this time of being resilient. And so that's where um, we really launched um, and and came to this decision that, um, you know, like we always have, uh, we wanted to include advice, um, but really dive into research, um, you know, project areas of all of our um, practice areas, uh, but dive into design strategies that our clients could really move forward with and make it more of a living document online that we're going to evolve throughout the year. Um, and you'll be able to see that um, going forward. Yeah. And, and like Natalie said, you know, 2022, this focus is all about resilience. And and after two years of 
starts and stops and, you know, thinking you're back to the office and then having to, you know, another variant hitting and having to continue to work from home. You know, we're witnessing really optimistic investments and planning to really reimagine the future of buildings and places and and projects that start to respond to new ways that people work and live and and start to address head on some of the issues like climate change and inclusion and community, mm-hmm. which we focused on throughout the report. And there's so much great information in the report. And I think the word resilience is probably so appropriate right now for the, you know, for what we've gone through, what we're seeing right now in the world. Um, and I know we don't have time to unpack everything uh, that's in the report because it's it's really lengthy and in-depth. But um, what would you say are some of the top level trends that Gensler uncovered um, during, you know, this version of the report? Like, and, and could you touch a little bit maybe, too, on the drivers behind them? Sure. Well, one of them that, that really uh, stuck out to me is this idea of a 20-minute uh, neighborhood. You know, at its core, it's the idea about all of life's necessities, work, home, community are all within a 20 minute walk um, or bike ride. And it allows people to rethink where and how they work and, and live. And these mixed use neighborhoods um, can really create social cohesion and strengthen the idea of around community. And if it's designed well, it can start to address equitable transportation and housing, employment, even technology infrastructure for very well-rounded neighborhoods. Another um, major trend is this idea of experimentation, piloting, and learning that's occurring in workplace. You know, the pandemic's created these fundamental shifts not only in how we work, but what our expectations are and policies around the workplace. And our our priorities have shifted. Um, there's a new awareness and appreciation on how we spend our time, how we work best, and, and what experiences we really want to have. Mm-hmm. I think the the this has given us an opportunity to step back and and rethink how we all work best. So we know this next year and and probably likely for years to come, um, we're gonna be experimenting with new ways of working both in the office as well as working remotely. And we know the office will still be about bringing people together, you know, to collaborate with teams and, and, and connect and build culture. But we also know that the workplace has got to support individual focused work. Mm-hmm. And, and so piloting new layouts and design, which rethink what's open, what's enclosed so that, that people can not only be together, but also have private spaces for deep concentration for as well as Zoom calls and, and virtual meetings are gonna be absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that way, actually, you know, the pandemic was a massive disruptor, and I, I hope people realize that. And I, we can't put enough emphasis on this experimentation aspect. That how important it is. There were things that were working so well in some aspects of an office, and some things that weren't. So it's really important that people do this testing phase and and see what is going to work and launch it, or don't. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's okay to test these things and, and see what's going to... And adjust gonna, them along the way. Right, if yeah. something doesn't work, change it again. Right. And right. It, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be so precious that we're not right. getting in there. It kind of, exactly. you know, just testing some things. Yes. Yeah. 
And that kind of touches on the idea of, you know, the office being agile and flexible, right? I mean, we heard that from for years, even prior to all this happening, but now I think it underscores the need for that even more so, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You know, it's almost like we can learn from retail about how in retail, they're constantly changing the exhibits. You know, it's it's, it's not that you close the, the store for a day or two while you're switching out things. You have to do it in real time. And I think offices need to be thought about as as spaces that it's constantly evolving as the work evolves, as behaviors start to change, as we start to learn you know, what the office is best for and what people may want to do remotely. Mm -hmm. That's a great example. I love that one because, you know, for some reason with retail specifically, there's not a fear in this constant evolution as seasons change, you know, and as they need to, um, you know, change out the store or, you know, uh, make it completely flexible overnight. Uh, But we have that in workplace um, and in those spaces. But there's a, an aspect of the ceiling, an aspect of the floor plane that is so flexible that the space in between can flex. Mm-hmm. So can we start to take those principles and those learnings and move them into the work environment? The other two things I've just touched on very quickly um, that are very important um, that we learned uh, was about uh, this aspect of experience. And we've been talking about it. Um, But it was really more about creating these destinations based on purpose versus obligation Um, and really getting into the why of creating a destination versus just having it because you're supposed to. And then the second thing I was going to talk about um, that we um, uh, that Janet reminded me of is really equity and inclusion. Uh, We're seeing so many companies. coming to us really wanting to, you know, extend equity uh, beyond uh, race and gender and generation, uh, but to create this equity across all work experiences for employees um, and trying to um, create this balance between the working in person and remote Mm -hmm. um, to create a culture of inclusion and belonging um, for access to learning and opportunities of growth and meeting together. It's really been um, a phenomenal um, glimpse into different cultures to see how they're starting to do that. That's really interesting. I'd love to talk more about that. I mean, I don't know if you want to touch on it here just a little bit, but I mean, how design can um, help sort of facilitate that? Like how, how can design be used uh, as a tool to um, make spaces yeah. more inclusive and welcoming and, and to sort of support equity? Because I think we hear about that a lot, but how does a, a design professional do that in a very practical way? You know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, Jane, I don't know if you want me to touch on that or you. Yeah, go, go for it. You. There's a few things that we've been um, starting to look into. The first is really, um, it doesn't just start with design. It often starts with policy mm-hmm. um, and making sure that policies are paired with design. Um it has become a complete ecosystem um, and a balance between so many different um, you know, aspects of uh, a company's structure. And with those policies, you know, are, are there practices um, and behaviors that are going to be in place to support um, what's happening within a company and within the design uh, once people either come in or they are remote. 
Uh, so I would say that that is one thing that has to be in place and the change management um, to really facilitate that um, that behavior as uh, people come in and start to try to have this manifested um, in their uh, work modes um, and their daily life. Um, the other thing that's really important um, is to really look at how people learn and the generational aspects of learning um, uh, that is so important. You know, we're looking at education and um, how universities are teaching and how can we start to look at what's happening with uh, Gen Z and how that is different than millennials and with X and boomers and how that starts to look across uh, workforces, what's different, how they retain information digitally versus in person um, and, and what is important um, within space. Um, and so how we can start to pair learning experiences um, and make sure that we're modeling the right spaces to do that. Uh, there's a lot of different things that uh, we're seeing in the uh, just as you come into uh, into a space uh, in a break room. You know, do you have a team check in or can you see who's in the office? Can you see what communities um, that have started to live you know, during the pandemic? Um, the group that does plantings, the group that cooks, um, you know, across the globe together. Um, can you see what's happening with them as you come in physically um, that they're still remote? Um, it, just little things like that, too. Um, that's besides the, um, the interpersonal communication. Right, right. You know, we've always seen that the physical workplace was this melting pot. You know, mm -hmm. this is where friendship often form between different cultures, between different ages, as Natalie talked about, um, and different races. And, yes. and, and the more diverse workplaces actually perform better, right? Yes. But there's this new inequity that's starting to emerge about those that are in the office and maybe those that are working remotely that day. Right. So as as leaders of different companies and as we think about it, even within design firms, you know, as we as we look up and say, who should we put on this project? Mm -hmm. You know, don't just think about who's in the field of vision at mm -hmm. the office, but how do we engage everybody? Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to take a, a new practice of making sure that we're thinking about those that might be there in, in person, as well as those that might be working virtually. And how do we make sure it's, it's an equitable experience from project opportunities, as well as when we come together in hybrid meetings, that mm -hmm. everybody has a voice and always being ready in terms of technology for, for virtual participants in just about every encounter. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I wouldn't have thought necessarily the, you know, offsite people have there being some inequity there, but you're right. That, mm -hmm. that, could, that could easily happen if you're not, you know, in person when people are there. And, and we haven't quite gotten there. Like right now, everybody's an equal box on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. But when people are now spending more time at the office, there's going to be new patterns and new behaviors and new attitudes that start, mm -hmm. um, 
forming unconsciously. And so we've really got to like remind ourselves, it's not just who we see face to face, it's the whole community. Mm-hmm. And as architects and designers, you know, we're used to working virtually with consultants. Mm-hmm. And so it shouldn't be any different. And in fact, at Gensler, we got very used to working in distributed teams that so we put to teams together that were not sitting in the same office because during the pandemic, we were all virtual anyway. Mm-hmm. So so bringing the best of that forward as we start to re- re-enter the office will be, mm-hmm. um, I think, actually moving the needle forward yes. as well. Yeah. yeah. There's also a new personality in a meeting, um, which is the chat um, that is digital. Um, I, the other day uh, we were in a meeting and somebody um, was watching on uh, the screen in the meeting room and they couldn't see the chat and they weren't getting all of the inside chatter that was happening. We didn't realize why they were confused Mm -hmm. and it was because they weren't watching along on their laptop. And so they realized that, Oh, I, I need to pair. Like I can't just participate in the old way. Mm -hmm. So there's some, you know, you can't fall into old habits. You know, you have to keep up um, with, you know, the evolution of how the times have come yeah, and how yeah. work moves forward, right? Mm-hmm. At a really rapid pace. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, things are constantly changing, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so health and well-being are top of the list of issues that are commanding everyone's attention. Um, where do you see the emphasis being placed in the built environment around human health now? Yeah, there's definitely um, still um, the emphasis on environmental wellness. Um you know, we are seeing that, um, uh, you know, so many employees are putting a, um, uh, an emphasis on wanting a, a desire for, um, uh, for that emphasis. It, it, it creates a welcoming environment when that is done. Um, that higher air quality, uh, variable lighting, thermal comfort, uh, the reduced energy water consumption, that those types of things are definitely what clients are asking us about. Um, and environmental wellness, um, it, um, it's that and I think accompanied with products and materials within the building um, with red listed items, embodied carbon has been coming up a lot. Those are the aspects that we're hearing about. But I would say um, from the pandemic aspect, um, airflow and that um, aspect is what is what is still a heightened um, conversation. Janet, you probably um, can talk a bit more about that and outdoor access. Sure. And we're seeing this really impacting building design. Mm -hmm. You know, there's is is. As Natalie talked about, there's the better airflow, but there's also technologies for a touchless experience. Um, but what we're seeing a, a, a big trend toward is more access to outdoors and think about it as usable terraces and rooftops and even opening up part of the ground ground floor or ground plane to be more um, open to the outside where where it can be an extension of either tenant workspace or even retail or, or hospitality type spaces and restaurants and the like. And we're seeing that even in existing buildings, starting to design interiors that have operable windows or glazing that opens up 
uh, to let in the fresh air is is becoming more commonplace. In, in fact, you know, we talk about indoors and outdoors. Well, these spaces that are really indoors with this sliding uh, glazing that opens up, we, we've been calling mid-doors. You know, mm-hmm. they're part of the indoors and yet it's 100% fresh air and there's uh, glazing um, at the backside to protect it from the rest of the um, uh, interior. But you're actually starting to kind of carve out terrace type spaces in existing buildings. And and so we're also seeing this um, trend toward more architectural nudges that that start to foster movement for the building occupants and start to think about them as like open staircases instead of taking the elevators, activity-based planning, thinking about walking paths. Sometimes those are indoors, sometimes they may be outdoors, and even walking meetings to improve occupant well-being. But mental and social well-being is also part of that consideration. It's not just like physical health. So, you know, places to connect and build relationships, as well as places to be alone, reflect, or even refresh are also coming to be even more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine those type, different types of spaces, too, can take into consideration different personality types, too, right? Like, I mean, people that are introverts might need, I need to get away for a little while, you know, and recharge or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Or you've just been in back-to-back meetings, whether you're an introvert or not, and you just right. need to, like, I need a little bit of peace and quiet. I need to ground myself before the next meeting. And mm-hmm. and this always on with technology, I think it has... Um, it can be tiring for anyone and, and yeah. just getting a chance to reflect whether, you know, it's a call center and you're dealing with, with phone calls all day or whether, whether it's, it's more of a teaching environment. We all need those opportunities just to kind of step back mm-hmm. and change gears. And we all change gears in different paces and, and being able to use and connect to nature as a part of that transition is, is very important. Yeah. Um, another topic that was kind of on a high level uh, covered in the report, you know, had to do with climate action. And um, obviously, sustainability is, isn't a new you know, consideration um, for designers and architects. But have the are you seeing that the priorities around sustainability have changed in re- recent years? Like what what types of strategies and targets should the industry be um, you know, most concerned with today? This is this is really an important issue. So we see that many of the design strategies are simply doing the right thing. You know, tenants, however, are demanding climate action based on their ESG goals, which is driving new criteria about which buildings that they may lease or, um, you know, criteria around how they want that building designed. And it's putting a lot of demand on carbon neutrality for developers and and landlords. And and we see it really becoming a corporate and community responsibility. And so that part has really changed over the last year or so. And, you know, as architects and designers, we play a really critical role in this. You know, there's not only a new sense of urgency, but that there's also new clarity about the challenges that we're facing, you know, for net net zero energy to embodied carbon to the equity we were talking about before, even more for talent. And, and we feel like design can be such an instrument of change to make a difference in that. 
Um, we have the ability to transform neighborhoods or cities and and certainly, you know, down to to uh, individuals. And we believe that the value of spaces is really going to be determined by the experiences that they provide and how well they start to address not only climate change, but people's needs and, and expectations. Yeah, I'll just add that, you know, that we have seen a huge increase on the focus of uh, reuse in design, uh, well above, um, you know, any standard that had been in place or, you know, asked by a community or a city um, uh, that you would find in a LEED certification. Uh, clients, developers, you know, people are really asking, like, can we, uh, can we look at how we can reuse and not put this in a landfill um, and really uh, start to um, uh, find a new life for either a building or products um, uh, to extend its life in some way. Um, we're just uh, we're seeing a whole a whole new set of circumstances around that and and it's bringing um, it's bringing buildings and cities back to life in a new way. It's um, it's quite phenomenal. Um, and you know the other aspect to this. Um, is also that health and well-being um, that y'all talked about a minute ago. You know, mental health and, you know, this aspect of biophilia, um, bringing that, this natural um, aspect into buildings and access to green, uh, that green space, um, the natural elements uh, of a building, just knowing even that it is well, um, just brings an element of calm we're finding um, within these spaces that um, is making it a much more holistic space to work within. Um, and it's uh, it's much better for the well-being of the occupants and the planet. Yeah, and I would imagine, um, as you mentioned, it's kind of comfort for employees, like bringing people back to the office. And we kind of touched on it maybe a little bit, but obviously the headlines recently have been dominated by this, you know, the great resignation and all that. How do you see that impacting like the workplace and and what do employers and building owners need to do uh, to try to attract workers and tenants, you know, back in? I mean, obviously, I think you just touched on it. Focusing on health and wellness is one. You know, are there other things that they can look at? Jenna, do you want to talk about our research around this a little? Yeah. Why, do, why don't I? You know, it's, it's interesting. We have been measuring how how. Um, expectations have been changing over the course of, of the pandemic. In fact, we've we've conducted 11 um, workplace research studies in six different countries just over the course of the last two years alone. And, and around the globe, we're seeing this fundamental shift around how and where people really want to work and how work happens. And we know that the hybrid work model is here to stay in some form in just about every organization. And it's redefining what we see as the purpose of the office. You know, everybody, whether it's, it's you know, in every client industry, in every country, in every generation, the number one thing that, that people say is the purpose of the office is to collaborate with my team. But, but we also know, you know, the social interactions with colleagues and coaching and mentorship and just feeling a part of a community and feeling connected to the mission and purpose of the organization and knowing how your work connects to that is also a really important goal. And, and for many, 
the office is also a place for deep concentration. You know, we can't necessarily all focus at home. We need the office in order to do some of that. And so, you know, this is all this change is resulting in in companies reevaluating and and in some cases transforming their whole real estate strategies. You know, should the office go away? Should I should I expand? You know, what what are other people doing? Because in this war for talent, you know, they know that that the space is an important way of connecting, but they also know that providing flexibility for these employees is going to make or break it. And and so what we're learning from our research is that top performing companies are expect to to increase the real estate footprint three years from now, which is is really fascinating. So part of it is that that they are growing and and that demand for real estate is still there. But top performers also value the office for creative and ideation task as well as that deep concentration. And this is especially true for Gen Z. You know, that's the youngest generation entering the workforce right now. And as we think about, you know, what we can learn from in our design forecast, looking at all the trends across all the practice areas, we look to education mm. for what Gen Z is thinking about. And, and new college grads, you know, they're used to, to activating and using their whole college campus for individual study, for for group learning and and for socializing. And so just like college campuses, we know the workplace has got to evolve to really provide this variety of of spaces and experiences as well. Not only for gathering and and community spaces to build relationships, the things that we really missed, you know, during the pandemic, but access to mentorship and as well as those individual quiet spaces. That, that we all need because it's providing that right balance for everyone. Natalie, do you want to uh, add that or? Okay. That was so good. Was. I'll, um, <laughs> man, that was so good. I, um, you know, I just, the only, gosh, like the only little thing to add there is, um, you know, when, uh, when executives and, and you know, the uh, real estate ecosystem, uh, teams are thinking about this. Um, really embrace uh, that experimentation and know that this is the time to test. There, like this has been a massive disruption, um, and it needs to be right for their culture. Um, there's no right answer. It has to be right for them and for their employees. It's right. not a one size fits all, you know, and and what's okay for them may not work for someone else and that's all right, you know. In and fact, it may not even be a one size fits all across an, one organization. Exactly. Because yeah. I think we've come full circle that it's not about how do we design for efficiency, but mm-hmm. how do we really design for experience mm-hmm. and how do we customize that for function? Like every every group within an organization may work wildly different from one yes. another. And, and why should their space be the same? Right. right? And, and so don't let that scare them either. So back to that comment on retail, um, 
it, their ceiling and their floor stays the same. Everything else in the middle can change. So it doesn't have to be a wholesale change every time. This could happen again. You know, we don't know. And so, you know, what we realized is that we were becoming so fixed um, that now so many things have to change. Are there things that can um, let us be very flexible for the future so that we don't have to throw everything out? Right. We can flex over time. And that space and buildings are not so precious right. that they can't change yeah. and be hacked and and yeah. be better suited for the purpose at hand. Yeah, yeah. It's really about resiliency, I guess. Too. Yes, right. Exactly. That's resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jana, you mentioned earlier uh, that you, the report touches on the 20-minute neighborhoods. Um, can you expand on that a little bit and talk about why it might be important for architects and designers to pay attention to it other than the fact that gas right now is almost $5 a gallon, you know, like 20-minute walkable neighborhood sounds like a great solution to, uh, you know, paying the price that we are at the gas pump. Uh, so, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So, so uh, unless, unless um, Natalie, you really wanted to take this one. Oh, no, you go ahead. It's okay. Okay. You, you know, I think the 20-minute the neighborhood is, is all about this idea that people have rephrased, you know, where is it that I want to live? in relationship to work? What is my commute? How do I want to rethink my time? And how do I really want to spend my time? I think time itself is a new commodity that, that we've never thought about in, in the past. Um, and, and so certain cities like Tokyo or even, even DC where I live, they're very long commutes. And, and cities like San Francisco, you know, have very quiet and dead CBDs, you know, that, that, that so many people were living in the outer part of the city and they're not coming in for work right now. And so this notion about 20 minute cities or neighborhoods is really about how do we rethink the mixed use development? Right. in a way that that activates, like for San Francisco, how do we activate more housing closer to the CBD? How do we activate more, more places for people to use after hours, not just work hours? And, and, and for places like DC and, and Tokyo that um, very long commutes, Maybe how do we rethink getting some office space and co-working spaces closer to where people live? And so it, it's an opportunity to really rethink how we want to spend our time, but what kind of experiences do we want to start creating in each of these neighborhoods so that we're starting to spend our time in, in ways that is a better use of that time? Sure. Yeah, I'll just add one thing to that. You know, then if you think about these 20-minute neighborhoods, you know, could you start to stitch them together so that then they almost become this urban fabric and connectors to these um, central business districts where it almost extends that mixed use where it's not just for amenities, but more necessities for fresh food or civic centers or libraries to neighborhoods that um, might not have access to some of that today, 
um, but it, it starts to weave them together. So um, it makes it uh, like each of them more walkable um, and can start to um, uh, let them thrive in a different way. And, and in some ways, you can apply that 20-minute neighborhood even mm-hmm. to to a corporate campus or to a workplace. Yeah. You know, it, you can take the principles and apply it at a smaller scale that, you know, how do we create kind of a workplace ecosystem mm-hmm. with, which has people, mm-hmm. you know, places equipped for people to work both in and outside the office, you know, places like coffee shops and libraries, parks and other third places, you know, can play a very critical role in in how work happens. And and we were talking about the younger generations a few minutes ago and in Gen Z in particular, this is really important um, for in in our research, we found that that Gen Z view these third places as an essential part of their work day. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, instead of working or meeting in the office, they would prefer uh, to use these third places for like, socializing, but also for work activities like unplanned meetings or giving and receiving feedback on project work. Mm-hmm. And, and think how often that happens during the day. And so if, you, if, if developers and landlords can think about how do we create these third places in or around the the places that we're designing, it can start to be an extension of the workplace. And for companies, even leasing space, you know, how do how do they start to create third like third place like spaces, you know, within their tenant space that really gives that variety and choice that people are craving. Yeah, yeah, good good point. Um, so, are there any other highlights from the report that you uh, want to point out for our listeners specifically? I would just say that experience, to double down on the word experience, that is really emerging as the new value for real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about the goal of, of developers, that is really to attract the best tenants. Mm-hmm. Tenants need to attract the best talent, right, in order for their business performance. And so creating places, you know, whether it's within the 20-minute neighborhood or within the work environment, you know, creating places where people really want to be for the best experience is what we as architects and designers really need to focus on this next year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, to add on to that, um, you know, amenities have been around for a long time. Um, You know, in this war on talent, people were adding like, oh, what can we add? Or, um, you know, uh, what uh, in mixed use, you know, what uh, type of space should we have like within this city or, you know, within a, a corporate campus or a tech um, campus, what type of amenity should we add in here? But it's no longer this concept of build it and they will come. It is it is really about diving deep into the why and maybe even the next layer of why. What is that purpose? Um, really understanding um, the reasoning behind it. Uh, why people are going to want to come, um, and that is um, is what the experience should be about. Yeah. And, yeah. and just to tie it back to to the theme of the design forecast this year, which is really around resilience, is how do we as architects and designers build more resilient places mm-hmm. and and more resilient cities? 
the time is now, right? Yeah, yes. definitely. Yeah, call to action. <laughs> Very well said. Yeah. Well, finally, uh, where can our listeners go to download a copy of the 2022 uh, design forecast? If you go on to Gensler.com under research and insight tab, you will find uh, a downloadable version of our design forecast 2022. So we we really urge everybody to to read it and uh, contribute to some of the blogs that that we've got on our website as well. Yes. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Janet and Natalie, for being on the podcast and sharing your insights with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, for our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. And as always, be well, everyone. <laughs>